This is Neil Erwitz. I'm the Director of External Relations here at the Center for a New American Security, and I'm here today with Jerry Hendricks, who's the Director of the Defense Strategies and Assessments Program. Thanks, Jerry. It's good to be here. So we're talking today about the Navy and specifically how do we get to that 350-ship Navy that the President has laid out as the goal, and how do you do it responsibly and effectively? Jerry, you've obviously written on this um, extensively. What is our best route there? Well, the best route there is actually by following a high-low mix. You, you need to maintain some high-end capability in the fleet in, in order to fight in a, what we call the anti-access air denial environment. But by and large, 90% of the time, the fleet is used to maintain the peace by maintaining U.S. presence forward in the areas that are under uh, pressure or being contested you know, competitively, economically, diplomatically. And not everything requires an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer or a supercarrier. And so one of the easiest ways to look at getting to the 350-ship fleet is by expanding the number of frigates that we have in the fleet. Right now we have zero. We've actually gone from a Cold War high of around 50 down to zero today with the retirement of the last Perry-class uh, uh, frigate a couple of years ago. The other thing is looking at some new types of platforms like using the joint high-speed vessels, perhaps integrating them with uh, missiles, uh, new Harpoon missiles, in order to get a, a small, cheap combatant out there that can be uh, that can help us contest some of these environments like the South China Sea. And so the idea of looking at sort of the uh, buying a few of the high-end capabilities, but also buying a lot of the smaller, cheaper capabilities. And then for people who are a little less familiar, what would we be using the frigates in particular for? Well, in, in a peacetime environment, you want to show the flag. So in areas where the rule of law or the or, or the, sort of the traditional way that the sea is maintained, free trade, free navigation, uh, you would put those frigates there to maintain a continuous presence to uphold the standards that the U.S. Navy has, has built and maintained over the last 70 years since the end of World War II. And in wartime, those types of ships then come into play in order to provide convoy escort to be able to get, for instance, army divisions to Europe if the Russians uh, made an incursion. Uh, <laughs> and so you would want to be able to uh, have those capabilities. So there's, there is a high-end, a wartime role, and then there's a peacetime role. And then as far as that peacetime rule um, play out the game theory here, is the idea that adversaries won't do anything stupid as long as a uh, as long as there is U.S. presence and that they and uh, they don't want to get the U.S. involved. That is correct. In fact, there's a whole line of game theory uh, or, or peacetime uh, theory called power law uh, theory that comes into play. The idea that as long as you maintain continuous presence, nations are able to work out their differences by interacting with each other on a day-to-day -day basis, where you actually have a chance for conflict to, to break out is when there's a gap in that, when the U.S. doesn't demonstrate its interests on a consistent basis, and we vacate that area for a long period of time. That's when new standards, new norms get uh, get built into the system, and then when the U.S. reintroduces itself, it causes a shock to the system. And so the best way to maintain the peace is to maintain continuous presence forward, and to do that, you really need a Navy about the size of 350 to 355 ships. And then let's talk timeline, because you can't, you know, ships aren't like cars, you can't just kind of produce one in the span of a week. 
How long will it take to get up to this kind of size that, that you think we need? It's a great question, Neil, because if you built an all-high-end fleet, uh, Arleigh Burke-class destroyers, Aegis-type level supercarriers, yeah. it'll take you better part of 25 to 30 years to get you there. And do we have that long? No, no, we don't. <laughs> um, but I will tell you, if I was you know, just uh, willing to accept the low-end fleet, you know, I could build 84 rowboats tomorrow. Uh, but that is clearly what, what we don't want. We want something that's in the middle, and so I would make this argument for the high-low mix. I'll, I'll continue to build my early Burke-class destroyers uh, and whatever comes after that, but at the same time, I want to expand the industrial base, grow jobs, because some of these shipyards where things like frigates and joint high-speed vessels, those types of shipyards, there's a lot more of those in this country than there are some of the high-end shipyards, mm -hmm. and so we could actually start to build frigates in multiple yards in multiple regions, and that allows you to get an expansion of the fleet fairly quickly. If you do this right, What's you What's fairly quickly, like three eight, years? Eight to 12 eight years. Eight to 12 years? Yeah, I mean, let's face it, I could, if I laid down a plan for a ship today, that ship's not gonna hit the water for three to five years. Yeah. Uh, that's how long it takes to build some of these things. But the key is to start movement today in the first term of the Trump administration, and we'll start to see the, the gentle increase in the size of the fleet by the end of the, uh, the eighth year of a two-term administration. Terrific. I'm sure, well, the eight years, I should say, gives us a lot more time to talk about progress. Absolutely. And, and that's the way you do. The, the fleet is really, a, these ships last 25 years, and you have to manage them across that lifetime. So you have to build them, you have to man them, you have to maintain them. That's the other aspect of the increase of the size of the Navy's budget is that operations and maintenance portion. You can't just build a ship and then park it at the pier and count it. You have to then go out and steam it and then maintain it, and that's another part of the complication. So you're basically building it for the next generation of leaders. That's correct, and so the ships that we sail today entered the water, you know, the Arleigh Burke, for instance, DDG-51, the first of that class, that was commissioned in 1990 when I was a lieutenant junior grade. And I had a chance to go see that commissioning ceremony when Admiral Arleigh Burke himself showed up uh, to see his namesake slide in the water. This is a generational investment, and we need to think of it that way. Terrific. Thanks so much, Jerry. Really appreciate your educating us. It's good to be here. Thanks.